there. It is Eric Erickson here. I am delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I told y'all yesterday it's the hope that kills. That's the the phrase made popular in Ted Lasso, the TV show on Apple TV+. Plus. You know, I got to say, I want to talk about the streaming services today. Uh, there, there are some stories out about it, but uh, my gosh, there are so many and it's so confusing. Um, but Ted Lasso was good. I, I thought the second season got weird and I kind of gave up on the first is great though, but there are some intriguing shows on, on Apple TV plus that are catching on in the movies like Coda. I haven't seen it. I don't know a person who, uh, dislikes Coda. It's apparently a fantastic movie. Uh, nonetheless, the hope that kills you, you, you start hoping for things, and those things don't turn out. Uh, they don't go the way you want. There is a new breed of opinion piece coming out in media outlets, and it is things aren't that bad for the Democrats. Actually, the polling suggests they might be able to advance. The polling suggests, really, it's not terrible. And I told you all yesterday this was going to happen. That in addition to the Democrats have found the right strategy and and the polling, actually, you're looking at it wrong. Beyond that, what they were going to do, and it was, and I gave a shout out to my friend, Mike Krampaski, who's the one who pointed it out to me. The next thing they were going to do is they were going to start saying, oh, we got a good ground game. I know we're behind in the polls, but we've got a good ground game. It's whatever both sides do. You know it's the sound of losing. The sound of losing when you say, oh, but our ground game is fantastic. I know we're behind in the polls, but our ground game, we have 20 volunteers for every voter. They're going to personally escort them to the polls and limousines, provide them sexual favors and candy, and make sure they vote. I mean, when you start talking about it that way, it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, they got 20 people per voter. Oh, my gosh, they're, they're, they're going to kill it. Oh, the ground game. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, I have been here. I have seen these elections year after year after year after year. It's always when they start saying, oh, yeah, I know we're behind in the polls, but our ground game, they're about to get run into the ground. (sighs) Elena Schneider at Politico. If we do this right, the new dim organizing strategy catching fire ahead of the midterms. Operatives who helped elect Senator John Ossoff are exporting their voter contact program to more states for the midterm elections. <laughs> if John Ossoff is in charge, you're probably going to lose. All right, let, let, let's break this down. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. You have reason to laugh, but here we go. A group of Democratic strategists is trying to spread a novel organizing tactic in this year's election. Technically, it's called paid relational organizing. But it boils down to this, pay people to talk to their friends about politics. 
pay people to talk to their friends about politics. Democrats think it helps them win the Senate in 2020 and are hoping the get out the vote strategy will help limit the pain of a brutal 2022 election environment. Conversations with friends, family members, or neighbors are more likely to earn a voter support than chats with a stranger at their front door, which is the traditional way campaigns have paid canvassing programs in the past. And an important test case for deploying the strategy at scale came out of the Georgia Senate runoffs in 2021 when now Senator John Ossoff's campaign, flush with nearly unlimited cash, but only two months to spend it, used a paid and volunteer relational program to get people talking to acquaintances instead of strangers about the election. In particular, the Ossoff team hired 2,800 Georgians, specifically targeting those with little or no voting history themselves to do this outreach to their own networks. The campaign was making a bet that many of the friends and family of their highly political volunteers were already engaged in the runoff and that this group could expand the electorate with relational outreach which were likely to include more irregular voters or non-voters. The campaign folded this data into their vast field program, tracking conversations and whether those contacted had voted. A post-election analysis found the effort boosted turnout by an estimated 3.8% among the 160,000 voters targeted. Ossoff and now Raphael Warnock won by 1.2 and 2.1 votes percent points respectively. Now, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. See the 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 three-card Monty they're pulling? You know the three-card Monty where you got to pick the card and they shuffle the cards around and they confuse you with the cards? That's what's going on here. Listen to this. Listen to this. A post-election analysis found their efforts boosted turnout by an estimated 3.8% among the 160,000 voters targeted through their relational program. Ossoff and now Senator Raphael Warnock won by 1.2 points and 2.1 points, respectively, flipping the state. In other words, what they're not pointing out to you is that the guy who paid people to go talk about him did worse than the guy who did not pay people to go talk about him. I mean, this is this is one of the most remarkable bits of deluded thinking I have ever seen. This is remarkable delusion from these people. Now, Philip, if, if you're going to capture any of this, um, and yeah, I'm talking to Philip here, not y'all. Uh, this is the part right here. You can you can put a bookmark here. I'll wave my hand in the camera. This this is what you need because this is some some uh, BS. Progressives are arguing that the way to save the Democrats is to pay their volunteers to talk to their friends and family and acquaintances about politics. And their test case to show that it works is that a post-election analysis by the group that wants to be hired to do this showed that it boosted turnout by 3.8% among 160,000 voters targeted. But when you actually look at the data, the guy who paid people to, to go talk to people about him did worse 
than the guy who did not employ it. You had two Democrats on the ballot in a runoff in Georgia, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. John Ossoff paid people to go talk to their friends and family about him, and he underperformed Raphael Warnock, who did no such thing. In fact, John Ossoff only won against David Perdue in Georgia by 90,000 votes. Raphael Warnock beat Kelly Loeffler by a higher margin, and 427,205 Republicans convinced themselves the race was going to be stolen and stayed home. Had they turned out, it didn't matter how many people John Ossoff was going to pay, he was still going to lose. This is just nuts. Uh, the two women behind the effort, Davis Leonard and Zoe Stein, uh, are partners with Greta Carnes, the former National Organizing Director for Pete Boot Edge Edge's presidential campaign, are working together to export relational organizing, both paid and volunteer, to a host of Democratic campaigns. The Progressive Turnout Project, another canvassing group, is putting a million dollars behind it. In other words, this is a spin job in Politico that the Democratic turnout machine is going to be based on paying people to talk to their friends and family about the election because the groups that profit from you hiring them have data showing it worked. And what the data actually shows, if you pay attention to the real numbers, is the guy who used it underperformed the guy who didn't. And the guy who used it only won by 90,000 votes. And he only won because it was the Republicans who just didn't show up, not because he mounted some massive turnout machine. This is delusional. But this is where we are in the campaign season. They know it's going to be bad, and they're doing everything possible to tell themselves they have a way to mitigate the damage of what's coming. And you know what happens if the Republicans have a massive flub in November? If the Republicans really screw it up in November, they're going to take the credit for it and say it was them, not the screw-up. This is, I mean, y'all, I, I live in Georgia. I live in Georgia. I know what happened with these campaigns. But also there's this. If they're paying their volunteers, so they're no longer volunteers, they're paid, to go talk to family and friends about the campaigns, first of all, it's kind of fraudulent, is it not? Well, I'm having this conversation with you, uh, and I'm not going to disclose to you that it's because I'm being paid. But also... What are they going to sell? What message are they going to sell? You need to come vote for this progressive Democrat because uh, the other side doesn't want you to be able to chop off your child's genitals. It's not really a winning message, I don't think. You, you know what? You need to come vote for my progressive Democrat because those Republicans think that um, it's bad if if a teacher is teaching kids about anal sex in kindergarten. So vote for my progressive Democrat. That's going to work. Or, hey, I got another one. Uh, hey, you need to vote for my progressive Democrat because he'll keep gas prices high to incentivize you buying a Tesla. Not sure that's going to work, Sparky. I just I don't I don't think that's the message. And that's part of the problem here. What message do the Democrats have? Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. I think he's got the message. It's the one the Democrats don't have. Well, we're hearing that uh, the Biden administration wants to revitalize the Build Back Better. This is in the midst of a 40-year high inflation. Uh, I would say is sparked by uh, President Biden's first uh, war on fossil fuel. 
Wisconsin Keystone Exo pipeline, driving up gasoline energy prices, and then the out-of-control deficit spending is certainly uh, creating and printing way too many dollars chasing too few goods, and then those dollars being given to Americans, uh, making it possible for them to sit on the sidelines and not enter the workforce, so we have low labor participation rates and even fewer goods. So I, I call that the triple whammy. So unfortunately, Democrats are doubling down on all of their disastrous policies. Open borders, they're going to cancel Title 42. Last year, we had a million and a quarter uh, illegal immigrants come into this country, dispersed all over it. Uh, about a little over one million, they were turned back under Title 42. Then Title 42, that's the last control. We will have wide open borders. Um, he's right. He's right. This is the problem for the Democrats. They don't have a message. They can talk all the time about how good of a message they have, but if they had a good message, they wouldn't have to sell the message. The message would sell itself. Paying people to go out and tell people you have a great message isn't a way to get people to go vote for you. Paying people to go out and talk to their friends. I know this progressive Democrat. He's such a good, wait a second, he's a progressive? Yes, he's such a good guy. He, he cares about the, wait, wait, wait. The, the progressives have ruined, I mean, this is why they can't work right now. People don't like progressives. I played y'all the ads yesterday. Played you the ads yesterday. The Democrats right now, in the United States, their campaign ads in Democratic parts of the country, like the state of Oregon, they won't even say they're Democrat. They won't even say Joe Biden. They won't even, they, they, they won't say anything about Democratic control. And you're going to go pay people to talk to others about how awesome this Democrat progressive is that I'm supporting? Look, they can spin it any way they want to spin it. But I saw what happened in Georgia. Ossoff, who is bragging about how he got elected, was to pay people to talk about him, barely got elected compared to the guy who'd never paid anyone to go talk about him. And also, he didn't get elected because he paid people to turn out the vote. He got elected because 427,205 Republicans decided the election was going to be stolen and they talked themselves out of going to vote. And now they're fired up, ready to go vote in 2022. And so even Herschel Walker, who I think is a deeply flawed candidate, if he doesn't make any major faux pas on the campaign trail, he's going to get elected and Warnock's going to lose because contrary to public opinion, I don't actually think Georgia is as purple or blue a state as they seem to claim it is. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. So there's a big kerfuffle. I love that word, kerfuffle. Dean Baquette. He's the progressive editor of the New York Times. And they finally got lit of Taylor Lawrence. Uh, so Taylor Lawrence is a Twitter troll of, of some indeterminate age who herself, I think, said she's in her 40s. And um, Taylor Lawrence it makes herself the part of every story. She covers online stuff. And she's always a Twitter troll. She gets on, for example, uh, that that Clubhouse app and, and eavesdrops in and then has more than once mischaracterized the stories in her writings. She left the New York Times because they wouldn't let her build my brand, move to the Washington Post where she's continuing to be a troublemaker. 
And now that she's gone, Dean Baguette of the Washington of the New York Times has come out and said, hey, reporters, maybe y'all should stay off Twitter. And if you get on Twitter, uh, maybe don't be so strong, have some strongly held opinions and uh, don't attack your coworkers. This is something that uh, Taylor Lawrence has pioneered. She's a drama queen who attacks all of her coworkers. And others of the New York Times got on Twitter and started attacking their coworkers. And now that she's gone and the place is finally settling down, he's like, y'all stay off Twitter. And I'm starting to, you know, I feel like I can't leave Twitter because, one, it seeds the field. But, two, given what I do for a living, um, being on Twitter actually is a way to interact with fans and reporters and others. But, man, I really hate it. It's just it's not a good place. You know, I tell people all the time, remember the story in the Bible where uh, Jesus cast the demons out of the the men at the grave. They were possessed, and he cast the demons out into a herd of pigs, and they ran down the hill and into the lake, and the pigs all drowned. What the Bible leaves out is that after the pigs all drowned, the demons had to go somewhere, and so they started Twitter. That explains social media. It's not a good place. And what's so interesting to me are the number of reporters who are furious with Dean Baquette saying stay off Twitter. Here's an interesting data point. Uh, Megan McArdle, um, the libertarian economist, pointed out in the Washington Post. She did so online, and I've seen it for myself. You know Twitter actually doesn't generate a lot of traffic to websites. The reason you're on Twitter is because it seems like everyone else is on Twitter, and so you're seen and validated. But actually, it doesn't actually cause a lot of jump. Uh, click-throughs. It doesn't. Um, It it does not cause a uh, mass rush of traffic to your website. I see it with mine. I mean, I've got my Substack newsletter, and we put up clips from the show and stuff, but I don't see a major surge of traffic coming through Twitter ever. From Facebook, yes. Facebook actually generates a lot of traffic uh, to my website. And this radio program, you guys listening, generate a lot of traffic to the website. Twitter doesn't. Elon Musk has now bought into Twitter and they've given him a seat on the board and progressives are beside themselves appalled and horrified that uh, the New York Times or the New York Times Twitter would give him a seat on the board. They're afraid he might let Donald Trump back on Twitter. That's what they're scared about. They're afraid he might let Trump back on and they're going overboard about how Twitter's not censoring because it's not the government. It's just moderating content, whatever. When we come back, we need to discuss just how far off the cliff the left intends to drag the Democratic Party. I will also take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. Ah, yeah, we might as well. Um. Yeah, I go back and forth here because you got all this stuff. You get to the the end and you're like, can I talk about this? And this is something worth doing because the other day I talked to you guys about the what does what the data show on the election? And the data shows there may be 25, 30 seats up for grabs after redistricting just given uh, the dichotomy stuff. But, but uh, Henry Olson over at the Washington Post, actually, he's a, a brilliant data guy, knows elections very well. 
and he actually has a different take on this. Let me let me read you this. And part of his conviction here is that a lot of what we're hearing is the conventional wisdom and the conventional wisdom in Washington is dominated by people sympathetic to the Democratic Party. So maybe we should think otherwise. The common wisdom, he writes, rests on the notion that there just aren't that many swing districts left to switch parties. Politico's analysis of the new congressional maps confirms this assessment. It finds there are only 61 competitive seats among the 398 districts and states with finalized maps. Add those to the 153 seats rated safely Republican and you get a maximum GOP ceiling of 214 seats. Republicans hold another 27 seats in states that haven't finished their maps, but even after accounting for them, they would still have at most a 236 majority. That would be a 23-seat gain from 2020, a significant but not a tremendous improvement. That analysis, however, assumes that safe Democratic seats will remain safe. Consider the results from last year's elections in New Jersey and Virginia. Biden sported an eight-point net negative job approval rating on election day, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average. He won the 2020 election by 4.5 points, meaning public opinion shifted 12.5 points in one year. Lo and behold, Democrats lost. Pay attention to this. Democrats lost every state legislative seat in those states that Biden carried by 11.75 points or less and a couple of additional seats above that line. Here's where the bad news starts for Democrats. They hold 42 House seats that fall below that mark. And a few more will be added when New Hampshire and Florida draw their maps. Politico rated 13 of those 42 seats as safe for Democrats. If that doesn't hold, Republicans could get as many as 40 seats. Now, factor in the fact Biden is even more unpopular today than he was last November. Biden currently has a 12-point net negative job approval rating, four points worse than on Election Day 2021. Assuming the same trend from last year's election holds true in this year's midterms, that means any Democrat in a seat Biden won by 15.75 points or less could be vulnerable. That throws an additional 17 seats onto the playing field, all of which are currently rated safely blue by Politico. I'm not saying Republicans are going to pick up every one of these seats, or even that all of them are seriously contested. There's too much time between now and the election. But in 2010, one respected analyst thought the GOP could gain about 40 seats in late October. They gained 63. It's not that the analyst was wrong. It's that independent voters who disapprove of a president often wait until the very end to decide who they want to take back Congress. Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report noted this trend in 2018 and wrote that the number of seats rated as vulnerable for incumbent parties had tripled. The leading analysts all currently rate between 23 and 25 seats as toss-ups. Even doubling that total would substantially would raise the GOP prospects. It's going to be bad for the Democrats out there. It just is. And it is for a variety of reasons. There will come a time when it's bad for our side too. It works cyclically. The voters swing back and forth. 
And that's why there's no such thing as permanent political majorities in this country. When you look at Joe Biden's job approval rating down, now he is uh, down minus 12.5 points. Since Afghanistan, he has never been out of the red. When you look at the other polling out there, for example, the generic ballot, Republicans are up three. Now, part of the reason the Republicans are up three is because uh, the Economist YouGov poll of registered voters has the Democrats up four. Nobody believes that. And that's really important here that nobody believes that, that that poll probably is an outlier. And the reason that poll is probably an outlier is because in their overall data, Joe Biden's approval is down seven in that same poll. And typically when the president is down bass five, the view of Congress shifts. And then look at what they're running on. Look at what they're running on. Climate change and making girls sports safe for boys. That's the problem. They don't have an economic agenda right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be cruel here. It's just true. There's a story in The Hill today that the Democrats still believe climate change is the biggest issue facing this country. They could be right. Let, 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 just for the sake of argument, just for the sake of argument, hear me out here. Sometimes you have to concede a point to argue the point. So for the sake of argument, I'm not saying I believe it's true. I'm not saying I agree with them. Just for the sake of argument, let's say the Democrat view of the current dynamics of the world is right. The biggest threat facing America right now is climate change. Let's just say they're right, even if we don't think so. The problem here is that more Americans are more immediately impacted by empty store shelves and high gas prices and lower take-home pay because of inflation than they are climate change. So even if Democrats are right that the biggest thing our country faces right now is climate change, it's too abstract for the voters. The voters have real-world issues, and the hypothetical strong hurricane that may or may not hit someone else somewhere along a coast that they don't live on really isn't the thing driving the voters. It may be driving the Democratic Party, and maybe they're right, but it does not matter to the voters. And the Democrats have failed to convince the voters that you should accept high gas prices and you should accept shortages in the name of saving the planet. They haven't been able to do that. And by the way... Just, I mean, spoiler alert here, they're not going to be able to do that. Even if Democrats are right on that, they lose because that's their issue. But that's not what they're talking about now. Remember, uh, high gas prices were first the problem of a short-term problem. Then it was Putin's problem. Now it's the oil company's problem. No one believes that. If, if that was the case, Biden would be expediting everything possible to get them drilling. Victoria Coates, my friend, the former national security advisor for Donald Trump, was on the program, and she pointed out that the reason Middle Eastern countries aren't drilling oil is they know that it'll cause oil prices to go down, and they want to see the United States also upping its production so that everyone also shares equally in the costs coming down. And if we're not going to take the hit, they're not going to take the hit. And by the way, I think she's right on that. It is just a, a fascinating dynamic to me 
to watch the Democrats now really have no message. What they're running on is essentially, we have a good message. Okay, what's your message? Well, it's a good one. Okay, it's a, I understand you think it's a good message, so what is it? Well, it's a message that sells well with people. Okay, what's your message that sells well with people? Our message. And unfortunately, we're doing a bad job of getting it out. And if we just got it out, it would sell. Okay, so when you get your message out, what's your message going to be? Well, we've got a story to tell. Okay, what's your story to tell? Well, our story to tell is that we've got a great message. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, okay, so what is your great story? So, well, we got the best economy ever. If we have the best economy ever, why are you going to continue the student loan deferment plan? To get votes. I mean, let's be honest, that's what it is. and It's not going to help them. If you have the best economy ever, uh, why are so many businesses still having to scale back and reduce because they can't find workers? Well, because we have the best economy ever. ever. Everyone's working. Well, uh, two years ago, uh, we had a lot more people working. Well, they all died because of COVID. What? Huh? What? I mean, this is where we are with the democratic argument. It, it becomes this very circular thing where they can't really do anything other than blame shift. And now do you know what they think the actual big threat is? This, this is the one that gets me. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, we're about to see a flood of people. Oh, whoa, 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 that reminds me. We're about to see a flood of people come across the border. And Pete Ducey from Fox News scoring more points had the audacity to ask Jen Psaki this. When Title 42 expires next month, what is the plan for the 18,000 migrants a day that are going to cross? Do you want them to get jobs here? Is there something else that you want these 18,000 a day to be doing? I don't know where you're basing your specific numbers on, Peter, but what I would 18, tell you... 18,000, uh, I've got it right here. Earlier this week, the department gave reporters an estimate that up to 18,000 migrants could be apprehended at the border each day if Title 42 were... Well, paid, up, up to, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> up to! And we'll see what happens. Well, up to. That's your actual answer. There. This is the story the Democrats have to tell. Oh, oh, he said up to 18. That doesn't mean they're going to be 18,000. He says up to. How do you actually know? How do you actually know? And do you know what the, the great national security major threat of the nation is from the same Department of Homeland Security? We are working at a time when we are seeing only an increase in hate, or I should uh, say perhaps only an increase in the hate that is rising to the surface. And what we in the Department of Homeland Security have assessed is that the greatest terrorism-related threat that we face in the homeland is the threat of domestic violent extremism. Individuals drawn to violence because of ideologies of hate or false narratives propagated on social media and other online platforms. And the most prominent um, threat is the threat of white supremacists. Oh, really? Well, uh, there's breaking news. I did not time this, I promise. There's actually breaking news happening right now in the state of Michigan. Remember the, the plot to kidnap the Michigan governor? Zero guilty verdicts. No guilty verdicts for three. A hung jury on the alleged ringleader who worked with the FBI. No guilty verdicts. 
So the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security are pushing uh, right-wing white supremacy as the biggest threat in the country right now. Uh, They've been using this case in Michigan against Gretchen Whitmer, the governor there, claiming that right-wing white supremacists were trying to kidnap her. That's the big threat. A jury just found not guilty. Three of the four hung jury on the fourth one. That's it. They don't have a story to tell. They don't have any story to tell. And they know it. And that's why they're going to have a bad year. And listen, we can be shadfruitalicious about all of it. We can look at all of it and, and we can be gleeful that the side that we're not on is going to do bad. But keep in mind, goes around, comes around. We will have our comeuppance at some point in the future. But today ain't that day. Now, one of the groups that's out there helping conservatives make sure today's not that day for us is Patriot Mobile. They take a portion of their profits and they contribute to the conservative movement. They give it to the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, veterans, first responders, you name it. Uh, They are beefing up their support of the uh, conservative movement, but they need you as a customer to do it because they give a portion of their profits. Now, you're thinking, well, what's in it for me? Well, you get great service. They use all the towers everybody else uses. So 5G data, you name it, they got it. It's great. They also, well, give you great discounts. If you're a veteran, if you're a first responder, if you're a teacher, if you're an NRA member, gun owner, talk to them about the discounts. And you get free activation with my name. You go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash Eric, or you call them 972-PATRIOT. They got 100% U.S.-based customer service. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. You can use their website, though. It's easiest. Uh, well, I shouldn't say because their customer service is great. But uh, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Quick programming note for everybody. I'm going to be off on Monday. Uh, I have to uh, take my son to a soccer game, and i got to leave at 1. Now, um, our, our school doesn't have a bus that they're able to take them on, and my wife would normally do it, but with her recovering from COVID, I've got to be the one to do it. And so Alan Sanders is going to be in here for me. He stepped in very quick last minute. Um, everything kind of calamity happened yesterday. And so thanks to Alan for stepping up to be able to be here Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday, um, but I will not be here Monday. I got to drive from my house. I got to drive. Soccer game is two and a half hours away from where I live. Good gracious. Okay, uh, Randy, I want to get to your call real quick. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Um, I was uh, wondering whether the Democrats will galvanize, as you say, they they aren't now, um, come the end of June, when the Supreme Court should they overrule Roe v. Wade. That will give them that the call. That will galvanize them. What do you think about that? Uh, you know, so I there are a lot of Democrats who say that, and there are some Republican consultants who say that. I'm not so sure. Um, because that'll be June when it happens at the latest. It'll be the beginning of June. And you'll have all of June and July, August, September, uh, October to realize nothing has changed. And I don't think it'll galvanize people. Most people, it's not their issue. It doesn't galvanize them. And in fact, most people consider themselves pro-life. And when they realize it doesn't ban abortion, it just sends it to the states to decide. I don't think it has that much of a galvanizing impact as a lot of Democrats say. What, what what I hear Democrats saying right now about this sounds to me like wish casting, that maybe something will come along. Now, to be sure, if it happens that way, if Dobbs is upheld, that's the Mississippi case, 
uh, that bans abortion after 15 weeks, if it's upheld or if the Supreme Court takes the next step and reverses Roe altogether, I think the media will go into overdrive trying to help the Democrats. Charlie, we should probably file this one away in the see I told you so file. I think if, if Dobbs is overruled, the media will do everything they can to try to define the entire midterms by the case because – if the Democrats somehow rebound, they'll be able to say, see, it's abortion. It's abortion. America really is pro-abortion and, and you pro-lifers suck. I don't think it'll happen. I, I, I think actually what will happen is that voters will forget. They won't care. They'll be pro-life or they'll realize it doesn't matter. There is a lot of emotional energy invested within the Democratic Party on abortion. In fact, so much so that Planned Parenthood has announced they're going to scrap the label pro-choice and start embracing the label pro-abortion where we are in the country. I actually don't think that it's going to help them. Most Americans are in support of abortion regulations. And I think most Americans, when they realize that it doesn't ban abortion, it just means that it goes to the states. I think they'll be okay with that. But I guarantee you, I fundamentally believe if it happens, and I hope it does, you're going to hear nonstop wall-to-wall media coverage about how this impacts the midterms, and everyone will by consensus say, oh, well, of course it's going to help the Democrats because it's what people in Washington believe. Even a lot of the Republicans who claim to be pro-life in Washington really aren't. Uh, that's my take on it. Great question. Uh, now, uh, on Monday, I think I see I did say I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to take my kid to soccer. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the Masters game tomorrow. Uh, with everything going on around here. And now I've got an opportunity already to go next year, so I'm not truly devastated if I can't. But I probably need to be good husband and good father and stick around. But I really, really want to go to Augusta and see some great golf. I'll watch it on TV nonetheless. And this year I've got my giant TV, so I can watch it in, in uh, HDR in 4K, and it'll be amazing. I hope Tiger does well. 